0: Welcome back. Listen in as we finish up our emotional self-care section of our self-care series. Welcome to the Inspiro podcast, a podcast exploring personal growth, leadership, strategy, communication, and fulfillment. We are your hosts, Jason Luchtefeld and Bill Woodburn. I'm here as a dentist, transitioning into a career to help facilitate individuals and their organizations towards a more fulfilling future.
1: Hi there, I'm Bill Woodburn, and I'm a licensed professional counselor and licensed marriage and family therapist in Austin, Texas. I'm fascinated by the way people come together to solve problems, whether that's couples or families, dental practices or organizations. We're going to be exploring a lot of topics, and for us to be able to be free to do that, I have to let you know that this is not intended to be dental advice or counseling advice.
0: Let's change gears a little bit, if that's okay, to emotions and food. Aha, uh-huh. yes. I, I think <laughs> we use food a lot to try to ameliate our emotions yes and i don't consider myself an expert in this other than that i've read that it is a common problem and foods are manufactured in a way to make us feel more satisfied with their ingestion and Mm -hmm. so they're they're They've researched and chemically altered Doritos, for example, <laughs> to um, so that we want to just keep consuming them to feed whatever it is uh, issue we have going on. What, what, what,
1: what was that that uh, product that used to advertise? I bet you can't eat just one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember right. that, that yeah. ad campaign? Yeah. Is that Pringles? Yeah, something like that. It's I like, think yeah, okay. it's Pringles. That's what you're talking about. It's like, no, we, we want you to not be able to eat just one. Yeah. That, that's the whole point here. Now,
0: okay, so why are we using food? Why, why, if I'm upset emotionally in some fashion, why am I going to food to try to alleviate that? Because we were all babies once.
1: Make you do a double uh, take. Ah. Uh, okay. Food. It is so primary. Food, the soft warmness of the mother's breast and all of a sudden you know it is it is everything that's right in the world if you're six months old Mm. you know it this is this is the deal okay that warmth the rocking the food we're trying to go back there and i want us to also take a look at that though because if we need to go that far back to find something that's satisfying we're passing a lot of opportunities on the way that's a sign of real distress in my world how far back in your development do you have to go to find comfort Hmm. you know many of us go back a little ways when we're overloaded I want to watch a movie that I've seen before that I that I enjoyed, you know.
0: Music. Want, People pull music. up some
1: music. Yeah. I have, have my particular music. Let's okay. see. That's a that's that's going back a little bit in my development to find a comfort spot. I'm uncomfortable on the frontier right now. I'm uncomfortable pushing ahead. It's all right. I'll just move back a little bit to my favorite song or you know whatever. But what if? we keep moving back and keep moving back and, keep moving. and the only thing that will handle it is something really basic and infantile. I was like, wow, no, that's, that's a sign of a problem hmm. that you weren't able to do it with the other stuff. A, a, a walk in nature just didn't do it for you. And you, and, and a little artwork didn't do it for you. Or it. It's like, yeah, no, there's, you need to look at why the other things didn't work and that could be a sign of real distress.
0: Along with that, I think there is a tendency to have food as a reward. I saw this in the office all the time. If you behave, we can go get McDonald's. If you behave, we can go get Dairy Queen. If you if if you, if you don't behave, we're not going to that place. If you're good, you get a cookie. Yeah,
1: yeah. Which, you know, it's reasonable if they're eight.
0: Now, if you're 48, it looks a little weird. But that's what... To your point about how far do we go back, it's if, if we are upset and feeling we're uncomfortable with the way we're feeling, mm-hmm. then we're going to go to potentially that reward that satisfies that feeling. And if that was McDonald's, then we're going to McDonald's every day. Yes, if we're upset every day that so that's why I'm trying to put that together. Does that make sense? Oh, it's absolutely. And an extra piece here that I want to bring up
1: is people are surprisingly good at hijacking our, uh, our our emotional and physiological state of doing things. Now, often you and I both teach like the box breathing technique. For people to be able to calm themselves that's what i'm talking about we we can as humans animals not so much humans we can actually intentionally say okay i'm gonna breathe in order to calm myself i'm gonna use a technique okay well some techniques are better than others what what's happening is oh i can go to mcdonald's and i can i can orchestrate my physiology to calm myself for those of you out there that um, that are dealing with teenagers Saw so an in- interesting study the other day that's determined that some teenagers have discovered that if they restrict their calorie intake and put themselves in a slightly deficient, uh, nutrient deficient environment, it's very calming. And so they're they, they're treating their anxiety by restricting food. It isn't a classic wow. eating disorder. It's 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 more like self-medication that they have found a a, a, a a an effect in their bodies that happens when you're you're low on calories. So human uh, beings will figure out eating this makes me feel that way, and drinking that makes me feel this way, and we'll start to orchestrate it, which is not necessarily bad, but you do have to check and see what you're using to orchestrate and. You also have to, at some point, say, "I think I need to just stop orchestrating and get back to my whatever my normal state is, so I know, you
0: know, who I am and what I'm doing here." Yeah. So, so that gets to then uh, a, we we sound like broken records coming back again to <laughs> self awareness, but that's really where we need to get to is once you understand that that is an outlet that has become more harmful than helpful, then. One, seek professional help. That's always uh, the first recommendation. And then we've also talked about some of the things. You mentioned box breathing. You briefly mentioned nature. I would like to talk more about that, the value of getting out in nature. And importantly, for maximum effect, it's leaving your device at home and go take a 10-minute, 30-minute, or three-day walk in nature without your device. I uh, just read a study yesterday, actually, that, that they tested that looked at this and they found that um, one to three days in nature was hugely beneficial. And the majority of that benefit was nullified by people having their phones with them the entire time. Yeah. So I think uh, getting out in nature some in some fashion is a really good tool to help us alleviate some difficult emotions.
1: It's, it's reminding me uh, you know, one of my favorite places to go uh, camp is, is Big Bend National Park down by the Rio Grande. And uh, over the last 30 years, I've backpacked and camped and I love the desert down there, the mountains down there. And... <laughs> And a few years ago, I went down and I was checking in at the ranger station and discovered they now have cell service all through the park. And I thought, damn, I was going down there partly because it was so remote that you actually had to be, like, up next to the ranger station to to get any kind of, you know, signal. Uh, It's like, oh, no, you can get a signal anywhere. Well, I appreciate the safety, but I'm kind of bummed. I'm frankly kind of bummed.
0: So... Now let's talk about the difference between, or maybe not a difference, a Mm -hmm. a hierarchy or a recommended approach to which technique to try to use. Mm -hmm. So what I'm getting at is we know we're experiencing an emotion Mm -hmm. that's challenging. If we haven't labeled it yet, if we haven't get been able to identify it, is how much value is there in going out for a walk in nature? Like, <laughs> do we need to identify it in order to get maximum benefit, or can we use whatever tool we want? Yeah, I I think we're a little ahead of ourselves
1: because what I see out there, and the food thing is perfect, is a lot of people have gotten very good with food. Devices, whatever. Those things are not bad in and of themselves. We need food. Devices are very handy. It's we're doing that instead of feeling. Mm, Right. Avoiding feelings by doing it. Right. Okay. So the first step is finding the feeling. We we can't label it until we can feel it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we have to stop avoiding it and find a place to feel it in order to deal with it. Uh, Many years ago, I was working with um, a guy, he was uh, was a very important executive at one of the IT firms in town. And uh, he went back to work two weeks after his wife died and he thought he was doing great. And I'm I'm working, you know, fast-paced lifestyle, whatever. He got in the middle of a business meeting and he started sobbing uncontrollably to the point they had to stop the meeting and everybody left the room except for one person who stayed there with him. I mean, it, it, you know, and he was embarrassed and he said, I don't know, I was just overwhelmed. And I said, well, uh, you put it off as long as you could. And then it, you just pop the cork and there it is.
0: Hmm.
1: My assignment to him was pick a time of day, your choice. But during that time of day, you're going to feel the feelings that come from missing your wife. Sit, listen to music, see, look at pictures of her, whatever, for that time. And do it every day at that time. You've got this contract with your unconscious that you'll feel then, and it will not push the fire alarm in the middle of the business meeting. And he said, that sounds kind of weird. Well, he did it. And he said, no, it's actually working. And I knew it was working because one day I didn't, you know, think about my wife after dinner and the next day it got me. So it's like, oh, no. Okay. So we can choose a time to be aware of our feelings, even very difficult ones. Now, we may have to go to a particular place that feels safe or around someone that feels particularly good. I mean, it's not always easy if it's a big feeling, But if we don't feel it. Then we basically give control to our unconscious. To just do whatever. And now you don't know. And now you're feeling anxious. Because I don't know what's going to happen. With my feeling of anger at the boss. Or my grief over the loss. Or I'll hold it as long as I can. And then one one day the, the cork will pop. And it'll be all over the office. I don't know. Better to get in touch with it. So number one get in touch with it a walk really helps me get in touch with feelings i walk away from my office i walk away from my house whatever the usual i walk away from the usual i try to walk in nature or at least outside around the block and part of what i'm doing is relaxing enough to let myself feel what's going on in there then i can label it then we can get into these things we've been talking about
0: first step. I think that's worth restating that we have the unique capacity to regulate what we feel and and how we pay attention to it or not. And that can go pretty far. It, It can be a pretty large bucket that we can fill before it overflows but it will overflow. And so as you stated, finding a time to empty our bucket a bit is is so valuable. And we're also talking about tools to increase the size of your bucket. Yes. So by doing both, you're really benefiting yourself uh, in two different ways that are mutually beneficial, ultimately giving you much more flexibility, more ability to be creative, healthier. The other piece is that let's pick anger and
1: grief because it works is very obvious with that. There There are some healing processes in our emotions just like there are in our bodies that are kicked off by feeling the grief. And then our minds begin to start healing the grief. But if you never let yourself feel it, it never kicks off that corrective healing piece. And people come in six months, a year later, you know, and they don't know what's wrong with them. Well, you never got around to that. One of the classics, and it happens a lot with guys, um there's there's a a death in the family and the guys go into okay we got to plan the funeral we got to i'm the executor of the will we got it and and they and while everybody else is grieving they are making sure this all works and they are not feeling it they're they're getting it done and then everybody else six months eight months later is doing great and they're falling apart because yeah i get it you had to do that but you never activated that part of you that would have started the healing process they all did they cried they wept they hugged each other you know and 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 their minds started the healing process yours didn't so yeah now you're behind and by the way now everybody's looking at you weird because you're crying and they're wondering why is he still crying it's been eight nine months well but it's not been eight nine months in the clock of healing I've, I'm gonna Talk about a particular use of shame that many of us get into. And I'm talking to all my fellow professionals here, okay? There was a, a time back in dental school, counseling school, internship, residency, something, that you just flat were tired, you have been working too long, you got one more thing to do, it's 11 o'clock at night, but you need to do it for the course or You know the internship or whatever and so you got to figure out how to make yourself do it and one of the things that we do is we weaponize shame against ourselves by telling ourselves we will be truly despicable human beings and let everybody down if we don't do that tonight and we get in the habit of shaming ourselves this is a little different than my usual talk about how we learn shame from the outside. No, no, no. It's an epidemic among professionals is we learn how to shame ourselves to get shit done. As a motivational tool. A motivational okay. tool. I, I shame myself to get it done. I actually had to unlearn this. Um, the, st- the story I tell is um, I went to Eastern Tennessee, For counseling school and one day one fall day i was writing yet another paper on a subject that people much smarter than i had written papers on you know and it was just to get the grade and i look outside it's eastern tennessee and the world is a riot of colors from the changing of the seasons and it's the air is crisp and you don't get that in Texas, okay? I mean, I, I was I, like, "Oh my gosh, I'm in the middle of a real live autumn, and it's really here." And I want to go out on a hike, and I'm thinking, "Wait a minute, I got to sit here and write this paper. I have to sit inside with this computer, write the paper." Well, the first thing I, I tried was fear, you know, which is, you know, "Oh my gosh, you know, if you don't do this, you know, your GPA is going to tank, and then." Uh, that didn't work for some reason. So uh, I went on to shame. You've, you've, you've dragged your family halfway across the country to you know go to grad school and you know, da, 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 da. What sort of person are you? And, uh, and it really was, and you know what? That didn't work either. And I sat there and I said, well, Bill, you wanna be a counselor or you don't wanna be a counselor? And if you don't, that's fine. We will pack the family up and move back to Texas, and we can blow this off. But if you want to be a counselor, you need to write this paper. And so I substituted making a decision for either weaponizing the fear or the shame to force myself to do something that I didn't want to do. it was a way out for me because i had gotten very good at shaming myself to get that one more thing done that i needed to do i go out and visit dental offices and I'm, I'm talking to dentists that have are very high achievers and have gone through lots of schooling and lots of stuff and have built a terrific practice and are very good at shaming themselves and they're they're they are masters at it and they know exactly the buttons to push exactly how to how to you know tie the cat of nine tails so they can beat themselves to drive themselves on and it's really sad because they feel like they've achieved so much and they don't know why they feel so miserable at the same time and the more they achieve strangely enough the more miserable they feel i said yeah what well, but the way you're achieving is by damaging yourself and damaging your feelings. And so, you know, it looks like the success should make that work. It's not gonna make you feel any better. You have to make yourself feel better. And then the achievement will feel good. So that's my story for the day.
0: <laughs> so, how do you break that cycle? So, how, how do you go from achievement based on shaming oneself to achievement based on merit? Make a decision.
1: Just get used to making actual decisions. And the best way to do it is start to make, uh, don't let decision points go by by just being on cruise control. What do I want for lunch today? Oh yeah, I'll just correct. No, wait a minute. What do I actually want for lunch today? Make a decision. On those little decisions, I'm flexing my decision muscle. I get used to figuring out how do I feel? What do I want? What do I need? Having that all, coalesce into this is my decision. And again, it's something as simple as what do I have for lunch? Or uh, I've got an hour after work. What do I want to do with it? Oh, uh, well, I have to do this and I have to, no, no, have to's. What's my decision? What do I need? What do I want? What I think's best? What fits my values? All those are good, but it's a decision I make, so I'm empowering myself. I'm going to do what I decide.
0: Yeah, what I just heard was you just passed by it really quick was uh, <laughs> values. So making decision, making values-based decisions versus fear-based, shame-based, I have to based. It's it's only have to if it's you have to in order to live according to your values. I would
1: even say it's not even have to because you don't have, you. so many of these decisions, you don't have to. There are a few, yes, okay. But yep. most of them, it's not a have to. And it, the others, it's not even a have to right now. <laughs> so I can do it tomorrow. So yeah, it. you're right. One of the things that I find most healing in my life and the lives of the people I work with are being able to regularly make decisions congruent with our values. So there is a resonance in our lives that not all, not every action, but many actions through the day are expressions of our values. Like I'm painting a painting of my values every day. And I'm, I'm pulling up the palette and I'm putting a little of this and I'm putting a little of that. And so that the day becomes a painting of my values. One of the great things about having your own practice is my practice can become that piece of artwork that shows myself and other people my values. You know, when a colleague walks into my office, I want the office to say, this is who Bill is. This is what he values. I don't have things in my office that, that are there just to be there. I like the things that express my values and that when people see them, they know who I am and what I stand for. And that's, that's not, I don't want to sound like, you no, know, this is some sort of, uh, you know, self praise or whatever. It's something that is very necessary for me to have a good life. I want to live in that resonance I want to go to my office and feel that. I want my relationships to resonate with that. And the core of that is I want my decisions as much as possible to be seen as, oh, this is another paint stroke as I am painting this painting of my values. Hmm. This little decision, what do I want for lunch? Well, I can have this, this, or this. Well, what are my values around it? Uh, I'm getting ready to speak to this person. Oh, you know, I don't quite get along with them. Well, what are my values around? It? What how am I going to decide to act? And therefore, I'll be in that resonance. And whatever happens, I'm gonna be okay. Hey,
0: boy, it's good and he knows it. He don't say it, he shows it. So I'm imagining walking into your office and seeing a bookshelf. It's got a few books on it that are interesting. Some are topical for your field that you work in. Some are just uh, novels or things that you're interested in. And then on one corner there is a a homemade speaker. And then on the bottom shelf there is a like rebuilt carburetor from like a 1967 uh, Chevy.
1: So close, so close. (laughs) It's actually a piston. From a 1969 air-cooled Volkswagen with a hole in it where the okay. valve dropped through it. That's on my desk.
0: <laughs> pretty, close, pretty close. Yeah, good. That's great. But,
1: but again, that's yeah. I had a client the other day. Who said, I mean, the client sits right next to my one of my small bookshelves. The said, oh, you sure have a lot of poetry books." And that's not because I'm a that's really a huge fan of poetry, but those books are by authors that really seem to resonate with me. And I like reading mm-hmm. the poems because they bring out something for me and they help me express something. Uh, and so they're right there. And if a client picked that up and leafed through and, and you know, saw one of the, the, the poems with, you know, some of my little pencil marks by it, they would know more about me.
0: Mm-hmm. That's great. I
1: appreciate that. Is that, is that good for you? That's good for me. That's a good, okay. place to, good place to
0: leave it. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, have a great week.